everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Terry Brown, who is the author of five nonfiction books, also the fiction book um, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. And we are going to talk about her journey as an author and just her life journey. Um, just so we know, you guys know, there could be a trigger warning of um, emotional abuse. So if anything, we just want to let you know. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing today? Good. I love your the room you're in. It's so yellow and bright and sunny. <laughs> yellow is my favorite color and I love the beach. And so you see over my shoulder here, there's a beach picture. And yeah, I, it's it's where I like to write. I have trouble writing novels here because there's too much house stuff going on that I feel like I should be involved in, but it is a great room. This is, this is my, you know, nice, sunny, yellow, warm, yes. happy room. It kind of does feel like the sun, sand color. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it's, it's not as like, not like a bright yellow, like, um, I know no one listening can see it, but, <laughs> um, but it's like not super bright. So it's like more toned, like, like okay, it's like a more of a butter yellow yeah. as opposed to a you know it's not like a neon you know. right <laughs> <laughs> that might be a lot <laughs> yeah I think it would be so tell us a little bit about you tell us start with your journey and how you decided to become a writer so it's interesting it's kind of one of those start and stop start and stop kind of journeys and I think that's probably true of a lot of writers as a child I used to have three things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a brain surgeon. I wanted to be an Olympic ice skater and I wanted to be an author. And I feel like, you know, getting one out of three is pretty good. Wow. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and if anybody knew me, um, being an Olympic ice skater is really hysterical because I am not terribly athletic and I am not, I'm very me clumsy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very clumsy. Like the idea that I thought I could ever do anything like that on skates that I can't do on my own two feet. But nonetheless, you know, kids have their dreams. And so as a child, I wrote a lot of bad poetry, um, little short story things. I was constantly picking little pieces of paper up and writing. I have my mom gave me for Christmas a poem that I wrote on the back of a bank deposit slip of my grandmother's. So I must have asked for paper and she probably dug it out of her purse or something. Who knows? Um, but then I went to college and I had at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to be anymore. So I have two degrees and two minors, and I've not ever used any of it officially <laughs> because I didn't really know what I wanted. Then I got married and I had four children and um, that marriage did not last. And then I remarried that remarriage was not a good one. I was, uh, that's where the emotional abuse comes in. And I spent 14 years in that marriage because I am not a quitter. And I was insistent that I wasn't going to be divorced a second time. Yeah. And during that time, although I had started writing for small businesses, and actually that's when I produced those five nonfiction books, mm. the abuse was such that I wasn't believing in myself anymore. In fact, those five nonfiction books were written in the early stages of that marriage. And then after that, nothing. And it's because I didn't believe in myself. 
And nonfiction for me, when I was writing books about, you know, like I have one on mortgage investing, private mortgage investing, there's a lot of your heart and soul in that. I mean, it's, it's pretty much here are the steps, here are the things I was able to take you know, take people's ideas. I was working with someone who did this regularly and I took his ideas and just kind of created a, here's where you start and here's how you end up. And so it, it wasn't, there was none of me per se in that. And so it was very easy to let that out into the world because if someone didn't like it, it probably was because they didn't care about private mortgage investing. It had nothing to do with me. Right. Um, but I couldn't write fiction because that meant like, first of all, it meant digging down into my soul and mm-hmm. I wasn't really in a place where I wanted to do a lot of digging because I wasn't going to like what I found. And I yeah. knew that. And then I didn't have any faith in myself. So I didn't even believe that whatever I had deep down in my soul was worth anybody seeing. Yeah. So that went on until... Well, late 2016, I met a friend. Um, I had a therapist just to kind of go back. I had a therapist that never told me I should leave my spouse, which was good because if she had, I would have never gone back to her. But instead, she started working on my self-esteem and gave me some tips and hints of things I should be doing. And one of them was is that I needed to get out more and meet people. Yeah, Um, because I had kind of like cocooned myself away and didn't believe I could even make make friends anymore. I didn't even think I would I was likable. And so I had met this this girl. She was significantly younger than me um, by 20 years. But Mm -hmm. we met at some function and she was trying to write a novel. And I kept thinking, wow, isn't that amazing that she's got the guts to do this? And she told me about this writer's retreat. And it was in southern pines north carolina which was only 40 minutes from where i lived and you could go for a week and it didn't cost anything and you had to be accepted but the you had to have had written something which i had my published nonfiction, right and you had to be a north carolina resident or have some connection to Mm -hmm. north carolina and i said oh they would never take me because i'm not a real author and she said go ahead and try it. You would love it. I went, it was fantastic. So I, I applied and they accepted me and my husband was livid, did not want me to go to this thing, but I just, I don't know what overcame me, but I was going. And so I went in early 2017 and in that week, I wrote 50,000 words. Wow. And I pretty much got an entire story out of my head from start to finish. Now, going back and looking at it now, it's not a great story. The bones are good. I mean, it's a good idea, but the, the characters are flat. And I, I, I've, I've yeah. never written that way before, but it kind of proved to me that, wow, I have something in there that I was yeah. able to let all of that out. And two weeks later, I left him. That's amazing. So he did something two weeks later that had been my cross the line. Like if you ever do this thing and and that thing was like so far removed, I never thought he'd actually do it. And he did it. And, and I said, that's it. 
I'm done. And I think really going and having that little success kind of gave me that, I don't know, like a power, like I am capable. Now, from that point to this point, there's been a whole lot of, of fixing and cleaning up and, and, you of know, course. throwing garbage <laughs> out. But that was kind of that first little nugget of, you know, I am a capable woman. Yeah. And so starting from that point is when I really began my writing journey. You know, that's when yeah. I said, okay, I've got things to say and things to write. And I am a capable individual. And, you know, I think some of my early writing was actually more of a, you know, take this, you little, you know, hmm, because you watch me write. Because one of the things he said to me was, is just because you can write nonfiction doesn't mean you can write fiction. And I believed it. Because that's what emotionally abused women do is you get yeah. to the point where you don't you know, he'd pretty much, he'd cut me off from friends. He'd cut me off from family. And he was the person who fed me my world. Right. And then when I got away from him, it's interesting how, when you finally get away and you start to heal and you begin to recognize who you are again, and you look back and you think, who was that woman? Who was that, that was stuck in that relationship? Um, two years before I left him, we had a, a big argument and I went and stayed with my son for who was an adult at the time. And I went and stayed with him for a couple of days. I had no intention of leaving forever. I just kind of needed a, like, you know, a sanity Ace. break. Yeah. Yeah. And my son was trying desperately to convince me that you need to leave mom. And, you know, I couldn't hear it because that's not in the space I was in yet. And I said to him, now you have to remember, I told you I have a degree and another degree and two minors. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had a business. I had already completed five nonfiction books. And what I said to my son was, is, but what would I do? I'd end up being a Walmart greeter and living in a cardboard box on the side of the road. That's how you and felt. I, and I think back on that now, and it actually makes me almost weep for myself, for that yeah. person that I had, I had gotten to, because I believed that that was not a, a, you know, me just making something up for, you know, it, I believed that and right. how sad, how sad is that? Yeah. I mean, to, to me, that's just a horribly sad statement. So. Yep. So then I started writing and yeah, anytime you want to ask me a question, like I'm a big talker, so I can go on. No, forever. you're good. I okay. love listening to stories okay. though. Like I'm okay. very intrigued. Like okay. I just wanted to be sure. So then I continued seeing my therapist. So now at this point we can talk more freely about what really was going on, you know, and she was really helping me kind of clear out some of the what I call swamp gas of things that the smallest things would trigger me. I even had trouble doing things like going to the pool and swimming laps, because I used to go to the pool and swim laps when I was with my emotionally abusive spouse as a way of getting away. But now when I went to go swim, it was like, that's all I could think about was him when I was in the water, like the craziest things would, would bring up. Right. I mean, that's ETSD. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was really reluctant for a long time to use that label 
because to me, it was like I was usurping it. You know, what I went through was not like war and bombing and, and whatnot. And it seemed wrong. But I've come to realize that I, it was PTSD. It is what it is. And yeah. I still I still have that every now and then where something will happen. And that initial physical response that just like comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Now, though, I'm recognizing it. And most of the time I'm able to like kind of talk myself down off the cliff and remind myself that was the old life. This is the new life. You know, things are fine. So during that time, when I first left, my son had a friend who walked the Appalachian trail and he wrote a blog, not daily because he didn't have internet daily, but you know, as, as often as he could, right. I read that thing like a woman drowning. I don't know what about it, but I read it I would reread it. I would go through and like analyze each of his feelings. And I decided I want to do something like that, that I needed to do something like that, that I had to prove to the world that I, that I had something in me. I just had this, just need, um, the more I thought about it, it was not the thing I wanted to do because the idea of, of, walking alone i'm a i'm a people person yeah and i couldn't imagine walking alone and then there's that little bit of a fear of you're alone and i'm a woman and right. i'm out on a trail with people you know there's that you know and so back and forth i went you know and i thought well maybe i can find another woman who wants to go and we could you know do this as a together thing or you know so i had all this in mind then quite accidentally, I met someone who's now my third husband. And so it always makes me sad. I just hate saying third husband. But anyway, um, (laughs) I got it right this time. Third Um, time's the charm. Yeah. So when I met him, I had never intended to have another relationship ever. I wasn't, I wasn't going to date. I was definitely never going to marry again. I obviously didn't know how to do it. And I wasn't going to do it again because it had just too traumatic. Like, why would you do that to yourself a third time? Right. But I met him very, very coincidentally. And he, he just kind of like, he tells everyone that he chased me until I caught him. So (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that doesn't make sense but I like it. It doesn't, but it's kind of that idea that he just kept being there until I finally was ready to say, okay, maybe there is something here. And uh, we were talking a little before this that I said, you know, our our dating was more of an interrogation process than it was actual dating, but you know, it is what it is. And he is an avid cyclist he used to run marathons and do triathlons. He's extremely athletic and I am not. Now I like doing outdoor things. I love kayaking. I love swimming. Um, I like walking on the beach and, but I'm not athletic. Like Mm -hmm. that's not where I, that's not where I am. And he is, but now that he's older, I can not keep up with him, but it doesn't look as bad. You know, <laughs> you know the gap is a little better. Um, and he said to me at one point, I have a tandem bicycle. Would you like to go bicycle riding with me? I mean, that sounds kind of romantic. 
you know, tandem right. bicycling, right? And so I said, sure. And I hadn't been on a bicycle in 40 years. So we get on this tandem bicycle and we just do a little around the town kind of thing. And I had a wonderful time. He later tells me that I was horrible on the back, that it took everything he had, all his strength to keep the bike upright because I'm, you know, looking and I'm, you know, just doing crazy <laughs> stuff. I wasn't, I was not a very good person to have on the back of the bicycle but we started doing that a little more often and of course you get better it's like anything right. you, you learn what you're doing and whatnot and he started telling me this crazy idea that he had had since 1976 about wanting to go across the united states on a bicycle and all of a sudden it was like i wonder if we could do that on a tandem because if we could do that on a tandem that could be my adventure and so even before we were married, and even before he asked me, I told him, I'm in for that adventure. And I figured even I, I at that point, I still wasn't even planning to ever be married again. But I figured we right. could be good friends and do this. Right. right. I mean, why not? And so we started kind of training. Yeah. But I live on the coast of North Carolina, and it's flat. And so there is really no training for what we then went through, but we got married in 2019, March of 2019. Then we went on this trip starting in June of 2020. It was 3,102 miles from the coast of Oregon to Washington, DC. It took us 72 riding days and we were out for over 90 days because we're not young chickens. And so we needed breaks in between. You couldn't <laughs> just ride through. There were definitely days where it was like, got to take a break. Um, and we did it for partially because we both wanted the adventure. We raised money for Toys for Tots, which Aww. was really exciting. And the best thing that it did for me was it healed my heart. Yeah. Because... I learned so much about me, who I was and what I was capable of doing because I'm a desk jockey. I had not been on a bicycle in 40 years and I made it across the United States on a tandem bicycle. Right. And that's huge. And there were days that I stood on the side of the road and cried because it was so hard and I couldn't do it. And yet once I cried, I would wipe my eyes, look at Bruce and say, okay, let's get on the bike because there wasn't an option. Right. I mean, it's not like you could call an Uber. We were in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. I mean, sometimes we were in, we were in Montana for what felt like forever. And in Eastern Montana, the towns are sometimes 40 miles apart. Yeah. You can't so, just stop on the side of the road. <laughs> You've got so to go have somewhere. Yeah, I, have, go ahead. I have a question. Yeah. So you, did you, you said you stayed in tents and stuff, right? That's we, what you had said before. Yeah. We pulled a trailer and we had uh, sleeping Wait. bags and. Oh, the trailer was attached to the bike. To the bicycle. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering how, like, how do you do clothes and everything? Like how yeah, do you. So we have, there's something called panniers, which are like backpacks for bicycles yeah. that fit kind of over the wheels. So we had two panniers a piece, and then we also had what is like a kiddie trailer, except no kids in it. We had camping equipment. Gotcha. We kind of looked. We kind of looked like a parade, all by ourselves. But you didn't. <laughs> but you didn't like feel the the trailer or anything on you. Like 
Or no, you don't, you don't feel it, but it's extra weight. Yeah, I yeah, mean, you know, so. you are pulling it, you know, so it is extra weight. It's an extra like 60 pounds back there of just extra stuff. Oh my gosh. So it's like putting a child back there in terms of, you know, the, the yeah. weight. And um, yeah, so we, we were completely together for, you know, 90 days. We never got separated. Every now and then we would have a motel. And so you would have a little more space, but we were never more than about 10 feet apart for 90 days. And so we tell everybody that that three months was like 20 years of marriage and yeah. that we've now been married instead of three years, we've been married for 23 years in tandem time. So that's kind of what we, <laughs> well, it's true though, too. Like you're literally together 24 seven. If you can make it through that, I think you can make, you can it, through make it through anything. Well, and we learned so much about one another. Because we had to deal with hard times together. You can't ride a tandem bicycle alone. You can't even set up all of our camp and equipment alone, alone easily. It takes us working together. And so we learned very quickly how to resolve issues yeah. between us. Because otherwise, what were we going to do? We were in the middle right. of who knows where and that's, you know, so it's not like we went across the United States and everything was rosy and we never had an argument. We had a few, but we figured out very quickly, okay, the best way to handle this is to be honest and forthright and talk to the other person and explain that what they said hurt your feelings and why, and give yeah. them a chance to say what they need to say, come up with something to do and move on. Right. So even today, you know, we're back off the ride. We, we finished that ride in October of 2020. So even today, something will happen. And my immediate response is, is to hide it and bury it and shove it way down deep because this is going to cause huge marital problems. And then I remember who I'm married to and I walk up to him and say, so what you just did or what you just said or what's going on is affecting me in this way. And this is how I am feeling. And he then can explain either where he was coming from or how it's affecting him. And then we come up with a solution and we move on. That's and it's amazing. So, oh, it's amazing. It is like, so I tell everyone I've married the perfect man and he's not perfect, but he's really perfect for me. For you. Yeah. The, the two of us have been able to just say what we need to say and then move forward. Yeah. So the best part about the ride is when I came home, I have all the confidence in the world. I now know I can do whatever I put my mind to. Yeah. Do I want to? That's another question. <laughs> like, you know, I have people say, well, do you think you could? And they'll name something. And the answer is, well, yeah, of course I could. Well, do I want to? Do I, I like want that. To? And not only that, but do I want to? And I now know I have that choice. Yeah. Because I can say no to things that, that don't appeal to me or aren't going to uplift me or, or further what it is that I see for myself. It's okay to say, no, thanks. Great idea. You have not, fun with that. But not for yeah, me. Not for me. And I don't think I had that ability because for 14 years, I wasn't allowed to say no. You know, you had to go along to get along. You know, that was right. the, the whole thing. You know, you, you couldn't have feelings and you couldn't express them. You know, oh my it gosh, was like that a robot. Was yeah. yeah, you just kind of were going through your day. And I was constantly feeling like I was putting out 
fires trying to keep everything calm and even because you didn't want something that could you know create this horrible outburst and so i was constantly in that mode and and across the united states i real i kind of shed a lot of that mm-hmm. and now i can tell people you know it's not that i don't want to help you it's that this isn't going to work for me right. uh, if something else comes up i'd be you know keep me in mind for future ideas, you know, and it's yeah. so nice. It's so freeing. I I've also learned that did, too. Like, like yeah. From my accident and everything, I've learned that you have to put yourself first and it's what works for you. And it's okay. Right. You know, I felt so selfish for a while trying to put myself first. It was like, that's such a selfish idea. That's like what we were taught for so long. And now they're being, we're being taught that it's okay to be quote unquote selfish, even though you're not, it's you're selfish when you're doing it just to be for you. Like it's not helping anybody or yourself. Right. Right. The idea that you're allowed to look at yourself and say, this thing that you're asking of me is really too great. Mm-hmm. It's okay to, to say no. And it's also okay to recognize that what you're being asked to do is huge, but you've made the conscious decision to do it anyway. Right. You know, yes, this is big and it's out of my comfort zone. And it may actually even be something that I'm not sure of, but because of that person I'm willing to do it. And I've consciously made the decision. I didn't just go into it blindly. The idea that you're allowed to, to look at it from all angles and then make a decision mm-hmm. is just, it's very freeing. The other thing that it did was I had this novel, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, that it did not have a name at the time. And I had been afraid to send it anywhere. Yeah, oh, so it was it. already written it. It was written. I wrote it in 2018, but I didn't send it anywhere. Oh, okay. And in 2020, we came home in October and I decided I'm sending that novel. I'm going to get this thing published. And now in January of 2022, it was published as Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. And it's a, a historical fiction based in Ukraine. So it is unbelievably timely. Right. In addition <laughs> to, you know, I mean, like, crazy timely but yeah all of a sudden I thought I have a good book it is good it may not be the the next great American novel but it is a good book and I'm going to put it out there and that bicycle trip kind of gave me that confidence and now here it is what two months later and three months later three three yeah three yeah sorry I can't even count um (laughs) Here it is three months later, and I have either been on or uh, have scheduled 44 podcasts, and people are reviewing it, and it's it's got 80 reviews already on Amazon. And it's amazing. Yeah. And it's like, would you look at that? Because if you looked at me now versus me this time in 2017, the difference is so substantial. Yeah. You know, and so I don't think that someone has to go through the kind of experience that I went through either emotionally. It's just abusive. being like a trial. It's a trial and tribulation. Yes. It's, that's what doesn't matter what it is. It, that's how you get stronger. And, and, sometimes, and sometimes the trial is 
much smaller. I mean, it doesn't have to be a 14 year long, horrible thing, or it doesn't have to be an accident. Sometimes it can be just a trial of, I don't really like my job and I'm having to figure out what I'm going to do next or, or small. It doesn't have to be huge, but you can use those those points is like those turning points to change your mind, to change your attitude. And when you look back and realize where you've come, it's kind of like when I got to the end of 3,102 miles and realized that we made it. Mm -hmm. And, and I can't explain how in my mind, I know I did it. I wrote about it every day. I, I experienced it. I have pictures to prove it. But in my mind, I can't put those days together and get me across the United States. Like it doesn't, simply does not compute that I rode all the way across. But you look back and you did it. And I think that's kind of the way life is, you know, you just kind of plug along and you do these things that are required, required of you every day. And you keep plugging and doing, and then you turn around and think, wow, would you look at where I've you know, I started way over there and now I'm here. Yeah. And that's kind of the way it was on this, you know, five-year journey to get this book published is, you know, five years ago, almost to the day is when I left my ex-husband. Well, look at you. (laughs) It was in April of 2017. So how amazing that I was able just to say, that's it. I'm done. And then to be able to shed that and to get to this, this place. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And I'm so glad we got to like talk about your story because it's one that is so important for people to hear. Um, one, it just, thank you as a writer. I mean, the stuff you've gone through to get to where you are today and how you kept going and just people in general, like just need to hear your story and that it's okay to need help or to want to get out doesn't make you a bad person. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I've learned a lot. I used to wonder about people who were in abusive relationships, like how do they get there and why do they stay? And I've come to realize that first of all, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a slow progression. You know, I started out that relationship able to write nonfiction books and ended up not writing anything. And, you know, how did that happen? Well, it's, you know, it's that story, like, how do you boil a a frog? You know, you put them in cold water and you turn the heat on. And by the time they realize they're in boiling water, it's too late. It's like the littlest changes. Like it's almost like little changes all the time. And then all of a sudden you realize like, it's that same thing. It's, it's the change. It's just like what I did from 2017 to now only in the negative, you know, you start (laughs) out at one place. And then when you look back, you think, how did I get here? And, and it gets to, yeah, yeah and, and it gets to that point where you don't feel like you can move. And I think that all, I shouldn't say all, I think most women who are in a situation like this, they have that line in the sand somewhere and they can't move until that happens. Right. And I, I wish, you know, if I could have my wish, I would either wish that whatever the line in the sand is happened immediately for them so that they could move or that they could draw a line that was much closer to them. That was more likely to happen so they could move faster. But what I've recognized is most people can't move until that line has been reached. So I have a question. Do you think that with your line, if you wouldn't have gone to that writing retreat, 
do you think that line would have still like happened? You know, I don't know. I think that part of the reason that he he knew what the line was. Okay, so let me explain. He used to take our money out of our joint account, all mm -hmm. of it, and then hide it in another account where I didn't have access. Um, and so it was a power play, right? right? And he had done it two years prior. And I, we went to some marital counseling and I told the marital counselor, I'm not even going to talk in this marital counseling session until he understands that if he ever does that again, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back because that's ridiculous. You know, all of these other things that he says, I'm misunderstanding, et cetera. You know, we can maybe try to work on that. But in terms of this money thing, you don't do that accidentally and you don't do it in a fit of anger because it requires time. You have to right. go to the bank and you have to take the money out. And you have to take it to another bank. And you I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Right. And so that was my line in the sand. Right. And. I think the reason he did it so shortly after I had gone on this retreat was because he didn't want me on the retreat. He was afraid of what I might accomplish there. And when I came home and felt accomplished, I'm sure that I projected not power because I didn't feel powerful at all, but maybe a confidence level that, that that his, him. Yeah. Yes. That, that was kind of like, oh, well, like your got hold to might be his hold on you could be slowly. Yes. Yes. And so yeah. I think he, he felt very compelled maybe to, to like knock that confidence right out of me. And he went straight to that line. And my belief is, is that if I was had like stayed, yeah, if I had stayed, then he would have known that he had all power. Right. You know, and so I think that that my doing what I did probably precipitated him doing what he did. But I, I would love to believe that with or without that retreat, had he done it, I would have left. Oh, yeah, that's what I, you don't know. But how do you know? I mean, right. how can you can't play that in reverse? I would love to believe that's what would have happened. But I've watched other women who have their lines leave. And so I think that maybe I would have, but I yeah. don't know that he would have ever done that line. And, and so there are just, times, yeah. yeah, there are times where I am so thankful that he did that because otherwise I might still be there. I might still be trying to fix something that could not be fixed. Right. And I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Right. You, you wouldn't have done any so, of it. No. And so I just look and I think, you know, how thankful I am that he was crazy enough to cross my line. Yeah. And then part of me wishes that I could go back and make that line something so much closer to me, so much more likely to happen. Right. You know, because I put that line, that line was so far away and so easy to avoid. But obviously he's not smart enough to, no. to avoid it. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? Because not only was it a line, but it was a line that he knew. And it was one that was easy to avoid. And he still had to take that line. And it shows what kind of person he was as well, yeah. you know, and, and I was able to leave and now I am where I am. And so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I wish that I could help women see that their line doesn't need to be so far away and so crazy. And so like, bring it in closer to home. 
because I think you're just talking on these kind of podcasts and like getting different audiences, I think can help somebody. I think so. I could, I think it can help them or, or maybe even help a woman draw her line, figure right. out what is it? What is that thing that, that simply says, I don't have to put up with this anymore. You know, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But what I have learned is for women who are in this situation, pushing them before they're ready doesn't help. Right. Because what happens is, is they, first of all, they dig in their heels and then they start defending the very person that is doing yeah. the abusive thing. And, and it's because they're afraid and they don't know what they're going to do. They and don't they don't have, have that a confidence. plan and right. there's no confidence in everything else. And so, you know, for anyone who's listening, that maybe has someone in their life that they know is, is in an abusive relationship, the thing to do is support them and to continue to be their friend. Just continue to be there for them so that they know that they have someone there that when they finally do get to the place where they're ready to go, they know who they can call. Right. Pushing them doesn't help. In fact, if anything, pushing them means they're less likely to tell you what's going on in their life because they don't want you to know how weak they are or the bad things that are happening or anything else. But if you are able to support them and just be their friend, be there for them, then when they are ready to go, you'll be the person they call. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to play a quick game with you. Uh, Five question rapid fire. Okay. And then you can tell us where we can find you. Fantastic. So first question, drink of choice. Water with lemon. Ooh, a little extra kick in there. <laughs> a little extra. No, I, I love a little lemon in my water. I think it hides any of the chemically flavors. True. <laughs> um, next question is favorite movie, TV show, or both? So everyone's going to laugh. <laughs> no, everyone's going to laugh because I'm going to go back so far. I positively love Gone with the Wind and could watch it over and over and over again. And I know it's now kind of like out of vogue and everything else. I still love it. I absolutely love it. And that portion where she she's eaten the dirt, you know, the, the, the vegetable with the dirt all over it. And then she throws up because she's been so hungry and she lifts her hand to the sky and she says she'll never be hungry again. Man, I love that scene. <laughs> I love that. Um, advice to your younger self. Um, oh, boy, there's so much advice I would give my younger self. I think it would be to, to always believe in yourself, to not let anyone tell you any differently, that, you know, you are a valuable person. And if anyone says otherwise, run, run for the hills. <laughs> I like that advice. Five words to describe yourself. Optimistic, enthusiastic, uh, sensitive. Hmm. Mm. Writer? Writer. Yeah, except I didn't want to go with a noun, you know. Uh, know. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, writer and um, I just love. I think love because I, I, yeah, love. That's it. I love that. And then the last one is what does success mean to you? I think it changes. I don't think there is, you know, you reach a a level of success and then what, 
then you change it so that you reach the next level. So I think for me, success is continually getting better and, and finding your next goal. That's awesome. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't, I don't ever want to reach success because that means I'm done and I don't want to be done. Yeah. So I like that actually. Um, and then where can we find you? Okay. So the best way to find me is on my website. It's www.terrymbrown and that's Terry with one R.com. Um, all of my social media is there. You can join my newsletter. And if you join my newsletter, you get the 10 historical fictions you've never heard of, but will make you cry. So I've gone and, and found all my historical fiction reader people who've talked about books that like didn't make the New York Times bestseller list, but are fabulous books. There's thousands of them out there. So you can join that. Um, I have a contact page there that you can get on and, you know, just reach out to me. I love to talk to people. So that would be the best way to find me. And then right. if you want to purchase the purchase the book, you can do that either on my website or you can go to Amazon or pretty much anywhere that books are sold. Perfect. Well, you heard it here and the, it'll be in the description below and I will see you guys next time. Bye.